Doctor Who, Wet World, by Mark Michalowski, read by Freema Adjaman. High above the still waters of the swamp, the bird carved out spirals in the purple sky, sharp eyes constantly on the lookout for lunch. Warm air rising from the water caught under her steel-blue wings, lifting her higher and higher towards the bloated orange sun. Suddenly, down in the swamp below, something caught her eye. A tiny flicker of motion on the mirror-smooth surface. Silently and with only hunger in her mind, she pulled in her wings and dropped like a stone. At the last moment, honed by years of instinct and experience, she stretched out her wings to slow her fall. Just metres from the water, she opened her beak, ready to gulp down the fish that she could see. And then... A glossy tentacle flicked out of the water, wrapped itself around her neck and dragged her under. The heavy silence of the swamp was broken momentarily by the thrashing of wings and a frantic splashing as she vanished. It was over in less than a second. And then there was just the sun, beating down, and the wetness, and the silence. As the doctor stepped from the TARDIS, the sole of his foot skidded on a moss-covered root beneath him, and it was only by grabbing onto the doorframe that he managed to stop himself from ending up on the muddy ground. The air hit him like a huge, damp blanket. He stood there, one foot still inside the TARDIS, the other hovering a cautious six inches from the ground. Hmm, he said looking out over the oily water that stretched away from the steeply sloping bank where the TARDIS had plonked itself. At the other side, shaggy trees lowered their branches almost to the water like a floppy fringe, and through the canopy of leaves above him, an orange-red sun blistered the purplish sky. He ventured his foot out onto the mossy tree root. Cautiously, he tested it with his weight, and it held. The slipperiness was more of a problem. He had to hang onto the TARDIS's doorframe as he shifted his weight onto his outstretched foot. Carefully, he brought the other foot out and found a safish place for it. Finally, he leaned onto it. There! He beamed at his own cleverness. Wasn't so difficult, was... The doctor began to flail his hands around as his left foot started to slip and slide. And as his other foot decided to join in the fun, he instinctively grabbed for the open doorway to the TARDIS, which was a big mistake. With a creak and groan of roots and a deep squelch of mud, the TARDIS began to slide down the bank towards the water, and the doctor again began to lose his balance. Wellingtons! was the only thing he managed to cry out to Martha as he landed flat on his back in a spray of muddy water. He lifted himself up onto his elbows just in time to see his beloved TARDIS pause at the edge of the swamp before it tipped, almost as if it were waving him goodbye. There was an almighty splash, a brief gush of bubbles and a massive wave that spread out across the swamp. 
and then the TARDIS was gone. Wellingtons, he repeated in a disbelieving whisper. Don't forget your Wellingtons, Martha. Martha was sure she heard the doctor shout something, but when she reached the console room, there was no sign of him. Then she noticed the door. It was ajar. The reason she hadn't noticed it before was that as far as she could see, it was dark outside. It was as if something flat and dark had been pressed up against the open door. Martha reached out her hand gently and found herself touching the darkness. Only it wasn't quite solid. Delicately, she pushed at it and it stretched away from her. Gritting her teeth, she pushed again. And suddenly, her hand and arm were through it. For a moment, she froze, feeling a cool wetness soak through to her skin. Water, she thought instantly. It's water. And before she could even complete the thought, something powerful and muscled wrapped itself around her wrist. Her mouth was still open in an unfinished scream as she was dragged into the death-dark waters. The doctor could do nothing but stare blankly at the spot where the TARDIS had vanished. His first thought had been for Martha. But he suspected that she'd be fine. The fact that just a few air bubbles had broken on the water's surface showed that the TARDIS had activated its force field. But that didn't help him with getting it back. He needed help. He clambered up one of the nearby trees. Clinging on for dear life, he scanned the forest. Just a couple of kilometres away, a lazy drift of smoke snaked up into the sky. Seek, he whispered with a smile, and ye shall find. Candy Cane hated her nickname. Really, really hated it. But she'd found it impossible to get rid of. Born Candice Margaret Kane to parents who hadn't had the common sense to think ahead and thus save their only daughter from years of torment at the hands of other kids, Candy had made a fatal mistake. On her first day at school, she'd lied that her name was actually Catherine, a lie she'd been caught out in straight away, which only served to signal to everyone that there was something wrong with Candice. And within days, they'd started calling her Candy. Coming to Sunday had seemed like a good idea. Not only would she be starting an exciting brand new life, but she'd have the chance to ditch the candy once and forever. And all at just 16. The arrival, three days after planet fall, of a hypermail from her aunt addressed to Candy Kane trashed those hopes good and proper. All of which might well have accounted for the fact that whenever she could, Candy chose to work on her own. The sun was setting. But Candy didn't mind being out after dark. There were few dangerous predators on this part of the planet. Out of the water, at least. Deep in the swamps were a host of unpleasant aquatic beasties, like the gators. Five-metre-long things that were a cross between an alligator and turtle. But she hadn't seen many of them since the flood. Anyway, she knew that if she kept away from the water, she'd be fairly safe. The only sizeable animals that travelled through the forest were the otters, and even they didn't tend to move far from water and their nests. Suddenly, she stopped. Ahead of her, she heard a noise. It sounded like branches snapping. A man stepped out of the bushes. His hair was matted with water and dirt, and 
A daft and slightly scary grin and mad eyes peered out through a mud face pack. Who? Who? began Candy. Who am I? finished the man. I'm the doctor. Where are you from? Oh, he seemed to consider the question for a moment. Just about everywhere, really. Well, that is apart from here. Not from here. Definitely not. Where exactly is here, by the way? Sunday, Candy said. It's Sunday. He narrowed his eyes. Sunday the planet? Candy nodded. Ah, said the man. Never heard of it. How did you get here? To Sunday? Well, my spaceship landed back there at the edge of the swamp. Before I knew it, splosh! The words were tumbling out of him almost faster than Candy could keep up. And my friend was inside the ship, still is, hopefully. The man paused. Please, he said softly. I need help. Candy thought for a moment. If your ship's fallen in the swamp, you'll need some serious muscle to get it out. And this serious muscle, is there some around here? I mean, apart from yourself. He looked her up and down. Candy found herself grinning. We'll have to go back to the settlement. So, said the doctor after a few minutes of plodding through the forest, tell me about yourself. What's your name? Candice Kane, she said. And how long have you been on Sunday, Candice? Almost a year. That long, eh? How many of you are there? Fewer than 400 of us now, Candy replied. This settlement, he went on, gesturing ahead of them, have a name? The old one was called Sunday City. This one will be the same once we've got it up and running again. Human imagination, he said with a grin. Never underestimate it. He paused. You said up and running again. Problems with the first one? Candy took a breath and, knowing they still had another half hour's walk to go, told him the story. The first wave of settlers had come to Sunday just over a year ago, and all 800 of them had set up along the banks of the river. Everything looked like it was going to be fine. They'd have a nice little city up and running for the next wave of colonists. But then, three months ago, the communications and observation satellite they'd left in orbit detected something disturbing. Sunday's orbit would take it through the debris cloud of a recently destroyed asteroid. The settlers were worried, but when they analysed the data on the asteroid fragments, they relaxed a little. They were all fairly small. As the planet entered the debris cloud, the Sunday and sat back, watched the skies and hoped for nothing worse than a nice light show. And I take it, the doctor interrupted, that the outcome wasn't good. Candy nodded. Most of the fragments burned up in the atmosphere, but a piece got through. It hit the ocean just a kilometre or so offshore, about six from Sunday City. She stopped again, remembering that night. A tidal wave, whispered the doctor. It just rolled in along the river. Candy shuddered at the memory. Everyone started screaming and running. It was chaos. We lost almost everything. Some of us went back the next day to see, you know. Her mouth was suddenly as dry as leaves. The waters had fallen by then, a bit anyway. Almost everything useful was either underwater or had been washed away. Even the ship was gone. She looked up into the doctor's eyes. And then we started to find the bodies. What's the result of the latest maze test? 
asked Orlo, checking the locks at the cages. Each contained an otter. Most of them curled up on the dry leaves they gave them for bedding. A couple were sitting back on their haunches, watching the two humans. Ty ran her fingers through her braided black hair. Same as before. The newer ones are about 60% worse at it than the older ones. I took the three from last week out earlier and let them go. They were beginning to work out how to work the locks. They were still getting back on track with their research into the otters since the flood had washed away almost everything they'd done before. And they were no closer to working out why the otters seemed to get smarter and smarter the longer they were in captivity. Just don't tell Pallister, that's all. Ty's voice had dropped in volume and pitch. If he gets it into his head the otters are halfway intelligent, he'll have them rounded up, chain-ganged and set to work building houses or whatever. It'll be Lucius Prime and the lemurs all over again and we all know how that ended. There was a sudden clumping noise outside and the wooden door to the lab was thrown open. Standing there was Candy. She had a strange look on her face. Hiya, she smiled, but it was a tight, awkward smile. What's up, honey? asked Ty, jumping to her feet. Without answering, Candy stepped inside. Behind her was someone else. A someone else dressed in a weird, dark brown two-piece. His face was smeared with dirt and his drenched hair was struggling to spring up. Hello, he said. I'm the doctor. Who the future are you, doctor? demanded Ty. And where the future have you come from? With a resigned sigh, the doctor reached into his inside pocket. There, he said triumphantly, brandishing the little wallet with the piece of psychic paper in it under their noses. That should answer your questions. He watched them smugly as they scanned it. You're a door-to-door -door carpet cleaner salesman, said Orlo eventually. What? snapped Ty, snatching the psychic paper from the doctor's hand. This says he's Madame Romana, astrologer to the stars. She looked at Orlo as if he'd gone mad, giving the doctor the chance to grab the wallet back. This, he said firmly, is supposed to be waterproof. I knew I should have had it laminated. Oh! He cried suddenly. Otters! Oh! He cooed. Aren't you lovely? Doctor, said Ty sharply, I'd be careful. They have rather large claws, finished the doctor as one of the newest specimens reached out through the bars and swiped at him. He turned and stared at Ty through narrow eyes. So why are they here? And why are they in cages? We're studying them, Ty said simply. And why, considering all you've been through over the past couple of months, would you be spending valuable time studying these otters? Shouldn't you be out building fences or digging wells or something rough and sweaty and butch? I'm a xenozoologist, Doctor. I'm nearly 60. And to be quite honest, there's not much else that I'm good at. Anyway, we're the advanced guard, so to speak. We're here to set up the colony, investigate the local wildlife. Make sure it's all hunky-dory for when the rest of the colonists arrive, if they bother coming now. Who are you? Everyone turned to the door. Standing there, flanked by two other colonists, two armed colonists, was Pallister. Silently, they drew their guns and aimed them at the doctor. What are you doing on Sunday? asked Pallister. Well, said the doctor, sucking in a breath, I thought I might wash the car, then have lunch down the pub and maybe fall asleep watching the footy. 
What are you doing on our planet? Oh, said the doctor, wide-eyed. It's your planet, is it? Sorry, I must have missed the sign on my way in. He turned his back on the three men in the doorway. Anyway, he said blithely, what was I saying? Oh yes, these otters of yours. There were two heavy clunks from behind him as Pallister's men readied their guns. The doctor took a deep breath and turned back to them. Good thinking. When faced with a puzzle, shoot it. When something comes along you don't understand, shoot it. When someone you've never met before says hello, shoot him. Nice policy. Candy swallowed nervously. The doctor clearly didn't know Pallister. He might have been an officious nobody, but he was the officious nobody who'd recently become leader of the council and he had a nasty temper when provoked. Right, exclaimed Ty suddenly, pushing the doctor aside and standing in front of Pallister and his goons. She glanced disdainfully at the two men, their guns raised. Put those down before someone gets hurt. I mean, she glanced back at the doctor, just look at him. Does he look like he needs an armed guard? This man is a stranger, replied Pallister, and as such he presents a potential threat. Maybe he's been sent from some other colony to interfere with us. You're paranoid, Pallister. What if he's an adjudicator sent from Earth for some reason? As if on cue, the doctor's hand appeared between them, holding the black wallet he'd shown her earlier. Ty took it from him before Pallister could and opened it again, expecting to find the card proclaiming the doctor's status as Madame Romano. Instead, she grinned at what she saw and thrust it out in front of Pallister. See, she said as he read it. Pallister's jaw dropped. Doctor, he said smarmily, motioning instantly to his two assistants to lower their guns. Please, please accept my apologies. Ty could see that the doctor was clearly trying to hold back a grin. Why didn't you say you were an adjudicator? fawned Pallister. Well, the doctor replied almost bashfully, we don't like to go about boasting these things, you know. Martha coughed herself awake, choking and retching on the stale water in her throat and lungs. She lay still for a few moments, trying to get her bearings. And then she heard a sound, a tiny, tiny whispering noise. Something touched the back of her hand and she gave a yelp. She heard the pattering of tiny feet and a gentle sniffing noise. Was she in some animal's burrow? Had she been snatched from the TARDIS by something and dragged to its nest? She stared into the gloom. She was in a chamber, about six metres across, with a dark, sunken area in the middle. Presumably, that was where the water was. Something moved on the other side of the pit, and she could just about make out a slim, upright shape. A shape that immediately shrunk like an animal dropping from its hind legs to all fours. And there were other things, paler things, only just visible in the waxing light. Martha narrowed her eyes and looked around. There was a lower level just below hers. Sprawled on it, across the pit from her, were three shapes. She peered into the darkness, willing her eyes to see, and then wished she hadn't. Laid out in the chamber were skeletons. Three of them, three human skeletons. Their fleshless skulls gleamed pink as the light grew around her, their mouths open wide 
as if in a final terrible scream. Ty was amazed at the speed that things could move. One minute Pallister had been showing the Doctor into an office and the next the Doctor was organising a mission to rescue his friend and his spaceship. Pallister had spent a good ten minutes apologising until the Doctor told him in no uncertain terms to go away and leave him to it. That man, said Ty, is bad news. You know that, don't you? The Doctor smiled. I think I'd work that one out. He bent over the desk on which a map had been unrolled. Anyway... We're here, and the TARDIS landed here. That's your ship. Spot on, Dr Watson. Now, are there any beasties out there we need to be careful of? No, she said. Nothing that we know of. That's one of the reasons Sunday was approved for colonisation. Fairly nice planet, all things considered. A bit wet and soggy, but warm. They were going to call it Wet World, in contrast to Earth, before we vetoed it made us sound incontinent. Very wise, said the doctor. Now, can you round up half a dozen hefty bodies and some ropes? You're going to pull a spaceship out of the swamp with ropes and half a dozen bruises? Ty was incredulous. Just how big is this TARDIS of yours? Martha felt sick and realised she was shivering. Not because it was cold, but because no matter how hard she tried, she couldn't help but think that these skeletons, these people, had been brought here like her. Maybe this was a taste of her own future. The growing light had revealed the chamber in more detail. At the other side was a small hole, through which a constant stream of otter-like things came and went, growling and grunting to themselves. Sometimes... One or two of them would descend to the bottom level of the pit where black water slopped and swayed, as if there was something just under the surface, moving slowly. Suddenly, the two by the edge of the pool jumped and scampered up onto the top level. Only then did Martha hear it. A deep, sucking, slurping sound from below. A tentacle starting out thinner than her wrist and quickly growing into something wider than her waist, reared up. And then, like a striking snake, it plunged towards her. With slow and inexorable force, the tentacle pushed her back against the wall, flowing around her head. Dizziness washed over her as the oxygen in her lungs began to run out. This is it, thought Martha, through the red haze clouding her mind. And then... As she felt her body sag, there was a lightness, a feeling of letting go. Somewhere, way away in the distance, she could see a faint blue light. Was that, was that where she was supposed to go? Into the light? Then, suddenly, the light was gone. The coldness ripped from her and something pale burst out of the darkness. Martha Jones, bellowed a voice, where are your Wellingtons? Martha took a huge, huge breath and the darkness swallowed her up again. Get her out, ordered the doctor, lifting the young woman's body up towards Ty and the others. Ty stepped back as three of the men who'd come with them to find the doctor's ship rushed forward and manoeuvred the unconscious girl up and out of the otter's nest. What was that? 
asked Ty as the doctor leapt nimbly out of the hole he'd made in the nest's canopy. This? The doctor brandished a small, pen-like device in his hand. The device that had somehow made the... the thing wrapped around Martha's head pull away and vanish into the water at the bottom of the nest. No, that, Ty said, pointing back into the ruined nest. The doctor shook his head as he knelt down beside Martha. Oh, that! No idea, but at least we know it's not very partial to focused ultrasound, don't we? He pulled back Martha's eyelids to check her pupils. She'll be fine. He paused and brushed at the hair on her temples. A pattern of tiny red dots, pinpricks of blood, was visible. Not so sure about this, though, he added. They'd been tramping through the dawn-lit forest for almost half an hour on their way to rescue the Doctor's TARDIS, when suddenly he'd stopped. Hear that? he said, holding up a hand for silence. Ty hadn't heard anything. It's Martha! he shouted, before herring off. Ty and the others could only race after him. By the time they'd caught up with him, he was standing in the bottom of an otter's nest, holding out the pencil thing with the glowing blue tip, holding it against... She didn't know what he'd been holding it against. All she could see in the gloom of the nest was something long and thick and dark, like a massive glassy tentacle. And then suddenly the tentacle thing had whipped back into the darkness with a mighty splash of water, drenching the Doctor and Martha. That thing, he mused. I take it you've not seen it before. Never, Ty replied. And what was it doing in an otter nest? Could it be some sort of symbiote? Something that lives with them, shares their nest? Maybe it's a pet. Maybe that's why you've never seen it. Could be, Ty considered. But I've seen inside a couple of nests before and never seen anything like that. Well, we'll sort that out later. We've got to get Martha back to the settlement. The hospital, the doctor was relieved to see, was better equipped than he'd expected. Martha was rushed to a bed and covered up with a blanket. This is Dr. Sam Hashmi. Ty introduced the doctor to the short, elderly man who came over as they arrived. Dr. Hashmi, this is, um, the doctor. Suddenly, Candy came rushing in. Professor Benson, she said. They said you'd gone out to... Her voice tailed off as she saw Martha. She glanced at the doctor and then back at Ty. Who's that? She whispered. That, the doctor answered without turning, is Martha, my friend. Oh, said Candy, I'm sorry. Someone's going to be, muttered the doctor, or something. There was a long, awkward pause, and then the doctor suddenly spun on his heel. Right, he announced. Tell me all we know about these otters. Orlo brought this one in this morning, Ty said, pointing to the newest otter. He said it was a real handful. What are they like normally, when you catch them, that is? The doctor leaned forward and made squeaking noises at the otter. It glared back at him. Normally, answered Ty, they're fairly docile. Sometimes they put up a bit of a struggle, but they calm down quite quickly. She indicated one of the others, a plump little thing with a greyish splodge on its right ear. This one is our oldest resident. Brought him in last week. He was aggressive when we brought him in. But now he's a real sweetie and very bright. He's got the maze down to under a minute. The maze? She showed him a large side room, 
the floor laid out in a complex maze half a metre high. We use it as a test of how bright they are. Food goes at one end, an otter at the other. And we time how long it takes them to get to it. When we first brought him in, it took him almost an hour. That's not unusual, surely. Most intelligent creatures do that. It's called learning. Start off bad, get better. Ty pulled a face. I'm a zoologist, Doctor. I've worked with animals for years. And there's something just wrong about this. It's the speed with which their learning curve increases and then suddenly plateaus out after about two days. If the otters were capable of learning so quickly, it'd be them building a city here, not us. Oh, don't judge alien species by your own, the doctor said. Still, I see what you mean. Oh, hello. What's this, then? Candy peered around Ty as the doctor moved closer to the new arrival's cage. He pulled a pen-like instrument out of his pocket and aimed it at the wall behind the cages. Highlighted by its bright blue light, scratched into the wall, was a shape. A rectangle about twice as tall as it was wide, with a little bump on the top. What is it? whispered Candy. Did the otter do it? It's the right width for one of their claws, said the doctor. But what is it? repeated Ty. That, said the doctor, a very worried edge to his voice, is my spaceship. That's the TARDIS. Martha moaned and opened her eyes. She was lying in some sort of hospital ward. A pretty basic one, she had to admit, but a hospital ward nonetheless. On the cabinet beside her was a glass of water. She picked it up and swallowed it down in one gulp. Instantly, she felt a lot better. The coolness, the wetness of it felt so good, so right. For a moment, she just wanted to dive into an icy pool or a river or the sea. She shook her head, suddenly disorientated, and the warm, hard surroundings of the hospital room swam back into view. Looking around for more water, she noticed a clipboard and a pen on the cabinet. Setting down the glass, she picked them up and saw they were her notes. Even though she hadn't quite finished medical training, she knew more than enough to be able to tell that she was in pretty good condition. Heart rate, blood pressure blood oxygen, all normal enough. She just needed to rest, that was all. Absently, she unclipped the pen and tapped it against the clipboard as she lay back on the bed. A couple of kilometres downriver, at the point where the tidal wave had deposited its makeshift dam, the banks on both sides were a seething mass of otters. Hundreds and hundreds of them, running hither and thither like a colony of ants. They were diving into the water and returning with paws full of mud, depositing it on the banks, slapping it into numerous rapidly growing hillocks. Like creatures obsessed, they were steadily breaking down the dam that had held the settlement in its watery grave for all these months. The... the settlement came an out-of-breath voice from the door. The doctor, Ty and Candy turned to see Orlo, sweating and panting and supporting himself on the doorframe. The first settlement. You can see it, just the tops of the buildings, but they weren't there yesterday, I'd swear. The water level must be falling, mused the doctor. 
We need to tell everyone, Candy said. Get them all out there. Hold your horses for a second, the doctor cut in. If the water level's suddenly falling, it has to be for a reason. The last thing you want is everyone out there when we don't really know what's going on. Doctor, Ty said, this is our colony. And this is the biggest thing to happen since the flood. If we can get the settlement back and the ship too, we'll be able to set up another generator using the ship's power core. The doctor's eyes narrowed suddenly. Power core? Just what kind of ship is this? It's a Mark II world builder, said Candy. The doctor's expression froze. You lot leave the earth because it's overpopulated and polluted, looking for something new and better. And what do you do? You bring a Mark II world builder with you, a ship powered by one of the most filthy fission reactors your species has ever come up with. He shook his head. It's like moving out of your house because the roof's leaking and before you've even unpacked, you're up a ladder ripping the slates off the new one. Ty was gritting her teeth, hands on hips. Setting up a new colony costs money, Doctor. Have you any idea how much a fusion generator costs? When Sunday's established and the rest of the colonists arrive, then we'll trade the fission core in for a fusion unit. And until then, you'll go on risking polluting this new Eden of yours, will you? Digging up uranium, creating waste that will still be around for your great-great-great-grandchildren to cope with? He shook his head. Anyway, he said with a sigh, first things first. We need to take a look at the settlement, see if we can work out why it's suddenly become visible. Orlo, are you up for taking us out there? Orlo nodded. But I want to check on Martha first, the doctor said. Back in a mo. Martha was asleep, her eyes flickering and darting under her eyelids. Mm, she's having some very vivid dreams, the doctor muttered, making Dr Hashmi jump. How is she? Sam indicated the medical monitor suspended above Martha's bed. She looks fine, he said. Nothing that a few hours sleep won't cure. Do you have the results of her blood work? I'd like to be sure she's not infected with anything. Sam checked his watch. Well, they should be back in an hour or so. Sorry it's taken so long, but our path lab is a bit makeshift. Doubles up for just about every bit of bioanalysis we need around here. And apparently they've brought back some skeletons. They're having a look at them to see if they can work out who they are and how they died. The doctor nodded silently took Martha's hand and gave it a squeeze. Take good care of her, he said. And with that, he was gone. Sam picked up the clipboard from beside Martha's bed, noticing that someone had doodled all over it. It took him a few moments to realise what the circular sketch was. A picture of a planet, with rough continents drawn in, and engulfing it, with eight smooth fingers or talons, was a hand. Ty had packed a thermos of coffee and some sandwiches for their hike to the original Sunday city. Orlo looked a bit reluctant to trudge back there, especially after racing back to the zoo lab at full tilt. But with a bit of chivying from the doctor, he soon went along with it. Should have brought candy, Orlo said as they made their way through the forest. She's a good swimmer. She could have gone down there and taken a look. The last thing we want, said the doctor, is anyone diving into those waters. You think there might be more of those things that attacked Martha? asked Ty. Well, I wouldn't be surprised, he answered. She was pleased that their earlier spat seemed to have been forgotten. She was sure that the doctor's heart was in the right place, but 
Really, he couldn't begin to understand the difficulties and costs involved in setting up Sunday. They'd had no choice but to go for the Mark II world builder ship. But still, she knew where he was coming from on this. She just didn't like to think about it too much. So why haven't we seen anything of these tentacled things before? She asked. The doctor could only shrug. Maybe they've been hiding. Maybe the meteorite disturbed them. His voice tailed off. Now there's a thought. The late morning air was pleasantly warm and filled with the sense of an alien world. The doctor breathed deeply, savouring every breath. They said that travel broadened the mind. They never mentioned how it broadened the senses too. Maybe if he hadn't been so worried about Martha and the TARDIS, he'd have used one of his own senses. His common sense, and put two and two together. Sometimes, he thought... He could just be too clever. Ty had said she'd never seen the tentacled things that had attacked Martha before. Yet she was a zoologist and she'd spent a good few months studying the animal life in this area of Sunday. How likely was it that she could have missed them? Or at least missed clues to their existence? So if the creatures hadn't been around before the flood and now they were... Two and two, he thought worriedly. Two and two. The Doctor, Orlo and Ty reached the peak of a small hill overlooking the lake where the first Sunday city had drowned. Sticking up out of the placid water like the prows of capsized ships were the tops of at least a dozen buildings. The water's dropped even further, said Orlo in disbelief. At this rate it will be dry in a couple of days. The Doctor gazed out along the river. It curved around a chunk of green headland and disappeared towards the sea. Ty was at his side, and he could have sworn she'd read his mind. Take us at least an hour, she said, to walk out to where the river silted up. That's what you're thinking, isn't it? If the water levels drop in this quickly, the doctor said, then it must be going somewhere, and the only sensible place is back to the sea. He looked her in the eye. Yes, that is what I'm thinking about. Up for it. Whilst Martha slept, she dreamed. A dream more vivid, more solid than any she'd had before. She was standing in a lake. Suddenly, the waters began to froth and seethe as something under the surface moved violently. Something strong and powerful grabbed her ankles and began to pull her under. Martha opened her mouth to scream as the water flooded in. And then she was sitting bolt upright in bed, sobbing and shuddering. Doctor? She heard a voice call out. Martha opened her eyes to see a young woman standing at the side of her bed. She'd said, Doctor? Martha suddenly realised. But the man who came rushing over wasn't the doctor at all. Wasn't her doctor. His name badge read Dr. Sam Hashmi. It's okay, it's okay. Martha said as Dr Hashmi tried to make her lie back down. It's just a dream. I'm fine. I could do with a drink of water, though. The doctor nodded and passed her a glass. She gulped it down gratefully, feeling it soothe the burning she felt inside. We'll let you rest, he said after a few seconds, checking the monitor hanging above her head. By the way, he pulled a piece of paper out of his pocket and handed it to her. 
Does this mean anything? Martha stared at the paper. It was the sheet that had been on the clipboard earlier, the one with her medical notes. But now, scrawled all over it was a picture. For a moment, it made no sense. But then her mind clicked into place and it all came flooding back. Martha lashed out with her fists. She screamed a deep, animalistic howl, kicking off the sheets and staggering to her feet. Her eyes blazing, spittle flying from her lips. Martha raised her hands like claws and advanced. Well, 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 what have we here? The doctor, Ty and Orlo crawled over the peak of the hill and peered down the slope to where the river narrowed. Swarming around the site of the dam that was blocking the flood's retreat were hundreds and hundreds of otters. It's incredible, whispered Ty. Yes, muttered the doctor, but don't you think there's something a bit odd about it? A bit manic? A bit forced? Ty looked again. She could see what he meant. The frenzy with which the otters were diving in and out of the water, carrying little pats of mud in their paws and slapping them onto the dozens of dark grey piles along the banks, was almost comical. You don't think this is natural? Spot on. There's something very unnatural about this whole thing. He turned to Orlo. Are you up for catching us another of those little fellas? Orlo grinned. Good lad. Back at the zoo lab, Ty and Orlo fastened the cage door on their newest recruit. Now, we've got work to do, said the doctor. This, he quickly grabbed a pen and a piece of paper from the desk and began scribbling, is what I need, equipment-wise. Think you can rustle this up for me? Or at least point me in the right direction. First of all, though, I need to check on Martha. Are these really necessary? demanded the doctor, pointing at the leather restraints that fastened Martha's wrists and ankles to the bed. In her sleep, she growled and thrashed her head from side to side. It's for her own safety as much as anyone else's, Sam Hashmi said apologetically. She was... he stumbled for words. Like an animal, suggested the doctor. Sam nodded. The doctor looked up at the display above Martha's bed. For a few moments, he scanned it, taking in all the readings. There was something he was missing, he felt sure of it. Something not quite right. It's an allergic reaction, he said suddenly. Look at those readings, what are our histamine levels? Sam fumbled about with the clipboard for a moment. You're right, he said almost disbelievingly, and it's on a massive scale. She's close to anaphylactic shock. We need adrenaline or epinephrine or whatever you're calling it these days. I'm on it. Sam rushed off to get the drug while the doctor continued to calm Martha down. Don't you worry, Martha Jones, he whispered. We're going to pull you through this. Can you hear me? She gave a little moan. Too dry, she murmured. What is? Too dry, she repeated, as if she hadn't heard him. Must go back. Back to the water. Must go. She closed her eyes and sank back into the damp pillow. Why? urged the doctor. Why have you got to go? But Martha didn't answer. Here we are, said Sam. In his hand he held a syringe. It might take a while to kick in. The doctor nodded, his eyes scanning the monitor. But even as he watched he could see that the adrenaline was working. 
Martha's breathing became less laboured, less painful. He watched her for a few minutes. There was nothing more he could do for her now that the drug was starting to work, but there was something he had to find out. Take care of her, he said to Sam. Let me know when she comes round. And with a last look back at his friend, the doctor headed for the zoo lab. The doctor was quite impressed at the level of technology that the Sundayans had managed to salvage from the flood. He carried the otter to the examining table and swung the huge lamp into position over his head. He held out his hand, palm up, to one side. Just pass those scissors, will you? Ty stared at him. Just a little short back and sides, he explained. Ty handed him the scissors and he set about clipping the hair around the otter's ears. Well, sir, he said in a cheery tone of voice, going anywhere nice for your holidays? Really? Lovely. What are you on about? said Ty. Hairdresser's banter, grinned the doctor. He paused and squinted at his handiwork. He's not going to be too happy with that when he comes round. Ooh, there we are. Look. Ty peered closer. Speckling the surface of the skin were tiny, dark red dots. It's the same as on Martha, isn't it? The doctor picked up a syringe and handed it to Ty. Like to do the honours? Cerebrospinal fluid, please. Five millilitres. She took the syringe and carefully inserted the tip of the needle into the back of the otter's neck. The syringe filled up with a brownish-pink fluid. What are we looking for? I'll tell you that when we found it. Right! He took the syringe from Ty. Let's get this over to the biolab. I've got a feeling this might be just the breakthrough we need. It's incredible, said Ty, her eyes scanning the screen set into the large, glossy desktop. The doctor peered over her shoulder at the computer-augmented images that rotated on the desk. Proteins, he said. Now why aren't I surprised? He reached into his pocket, pulled out his spectacles and put them on. Ooh, look at that! Now that is interesting! The vast tabletop screen was now filled with an assortment of strange, clumpy shapes rotating, swirling, joining up with each other and forming long chains before breaking apart and reforming. Ty stared at them. At a guess, I'd say we were looking at protein synthesis. That, she said, tracing a long, twisty thread, is RNA, yes? and it's controlling the manufacture of these proteins. She reached out and dabbed at three or four other images. Go on, the doctor said approvingly, and what's RNA for? Ribonucleic acid is involved in the replication of DNA, the chemical that codes for the construction of living organisms. And what else has RNA been implicated in? Ty frowned. Not memories, surely. She looked at him in disbelief. You're saying that these proteins and this RNA contain memories? Those things in the otter's nests are implanting memories into the otters. Not just memories, the doctor said gravely, and not just the otters. These are the results from Martha. He took off his glasses and twirled them in his fingers. When you catch the otters, they're dim but violent, and after a couple of days they turn clever and friendly. These proteins are just what you'd need to stimulate aggression and suppress intelligence. So it's not that the otters are actually getting cleverer, said Ty, but that they're just returning to their normal level of smartness. The proteins have been holding them back, and once they're gone... The doctor nodded. 
In the meantime, they're creating an allergic reaction in Martha's body, but as to why? He turned suddenly. The skeletons that you found, have they been given a good going over? Ty nodded. They were all people who disappeared during the flood. Dental records are pretty clear. Causes of death? Impossible to tell, but they all have holes in their chests or their heads. Different sizes, some the size of a fist, others just pinpricks. The doctor chewed thoughtfully on the arm of his glasses. Sounds to me like someone's been experimenting. Someone or something. Experimenting? Experimenting with human bodies, working out how they work. We really could do with understanding why. His eyes lit up and he grinned. You know what we need to decode the RNA and the proteins, don't you? Ty shook her head. What we need is the most advanced biological computer I can think of. Here, Ty scoffed, where do you think you're going to lay your hands on something like that? The doctor raised an eyebrow. You're looking at it, he said. Martha woke up, drenched in sweat. For a moment, she had no idea where she was, and then it came back to her. Everything. How are you feeling? She jumped as a figure appeared out of the gloom, a short, elderly Indian man peering at her worriedly. Where's the doctor? The doctor? the man said. His name came to her from nowhere, Dr Hashmi. He shook his head. I'm, I'm not sure. Hashmi glanced into the air above her, and Martha followed his gaze to see some sort of display screen, showing an augmented view of her body. How am I? she ventured. Hashmi smiled cautiously. Your friend was right, he said. We pumped you full of every antihistamine and epinephrine analogue we have and it seems to have done the trick. Martha let out a sigh and gripped the edge of the sheets, but Hashmi placed his hand on hers before she could throw them back. He'd taken the restraints off when he'd seen that she was no longer dangerous. But I think you should have a bit more rest. Your body's very weak. I've got to find the doctor, she said. I'll find him for you. Martha pursed her lips. OK, she said. You find him. I'll stay here. He nodded. Give me ten minutes, he said, before disappearing. Martha gave him five, and then she was out of bed. She slipped out of the hospital and found herself in the middle of some sort of town square, bordered by low wooden buildings. There were few people about, and most of the windows were dark. Something moved in the darkness at the base of one of the buildings on the other side of the square. Small, lithe shapes slipping through the shadows like fish through water. Otters, she thought. As she watched, she could see that there were dozens of them silently flitting between the buildings, and at least one of those buildings still had lights on. If that was where the doctor was, she had to warn him. Pallister allowed a grin to creep across his face. The council was so absurdly easy to manipulate. It was as if they'd left all their critical faculties, all their judgement, back on earth. He'd almost had to laugh at the panic and confusion in their eyes when he told them that an adjudicator had been sent from earth. But why? This was Dory Chan, one of the few councillors to have challenged any of Pallister's suggestions. She had a hard face and disturbingly penetrating eyes. And why didn't he make himself known to us all? 
He made himself known to me, Pallister pointed out. As for why... He let the silence hang for a while, knowing that almost all the councillors, except perhaps Chan, would be desperately wondering whether they'd done something wrong, some silly little infringement of the council rules. And then, when he'd let them panic enough, he said, I'll handle the doctor. The sighs of relief were audible, but Chan wasn't quite so ready to hand over responsibility to Pallister. Would it not be a good idea, she ventured, an edge to her voice, for the doctor to meet with us, all of us? Pallister spread his hands. Adjudicators are a law unto themselves, as I'm sure you know. To demand his attendance here might just antagonise him further. What do you mean further? As far as I can tell, we've not antagonised him at all yet. Chan stopped and frowned, glancing around the council. What's that noise? Pallister listened hard. From somewhere... Somewhere in the walls of the building, there came a frantic scrabbling and scratching, an animal noise from behind the walls and under the floors. Oh, God! Chan was staring into the shadows under the tables and cabinets around the council chamber. Shadows that were moving. Shadows that slid out from under the furniture and into the room, raising themselves up. All around them, their eyes glinting as they opened their mouths to show their teeth were dozens and dozens of otters. What? What do they want? whispered Chan. They don't want anything, snapped Pallister, trying hard to stamp down the edge of fear in his own voice. They're animals. Why are they here? someone else asked. Didn't they take the adjudicator's friend to one of their nests? asked another, his voice trembling. The otters were silent and motionless. Up on their back legs, front paws hanging down as they watched the councillors. What do you want? Pallister asked loudly, addressing the nearest otter. Its ears twitched, but it showed no sign of understanding his words. Pallister, Chan said, they're animals, you've just said so. Shut up, he barked, turning his head sideways. It was as though that was a signal. In an instant, the otters dropped to all fours and began to advance on the councillors. Martha ran up the wooden steps and straight through the double doors of the building. Standing in a reception room, talking to a small red-haired woman behind a desk, was Sam Hashmi. Where is he? Martha snapped. Sam turned, hands raised as if to pacify her. Martha, wait, he said. She ignored him, pushing his hands away and casting round for some clue as to where the doctor might be. Another set of double doors was straight ahead of her. You can't go in there, Sam called, but Martha ignored him. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw him coming after her, but raced on through the doors, letting them flap back in his face. Martha, he called, you can't! He broke off as Martha reached a door on her left, a circular glass porthole set in it. She almost skidded to a halt and pressed her palms against the door. Oh, God, she whispered hoarsely. No, no... Almost in a trance, Martha pushed on the doors and stepped into the room. There was a bed, occupied by a single patient, strapped down at the wrists and ankles. A patient who was thrashing about, growling like an animal. Oh, doctor, Martha moaned. 
At the sound of her voice, the doctor threw his head up. His teeth were bared and his lips were wet with saliva. His eyes flashed open. They were totally dark. A greeny-black sheen swirled across them like oil. You, he grunted, all of you will be me. What have you done? cried Martha. Honey, he wanted to do it, said a big black woman with braided hair. Do what? He had us inject him with the same proteins and RNA that were injected into you. What? You're mad, Martha spat. You saw what it did to me and you let him? His body's fighting it, the woman said gently. And what if it doesn't? Yours did, the woman pointed out. But he's not like us, he's not... Martha faltered, suddenly unsure of what the doctor might have told them about himself. He's not human? She couldn't tell them that. Who are you, anyway? She asked the woman. Ty. Ty Benson, she said. I visited you in the hospital. She looked back at the doctor, as if drawing a comparison. I heard about you attacking Sam. Suddenly, there was a scream from the reception area. The doors slammed open and the red-haired receptionist rushed in. They're out there, in reception, she stammered. Otters! Martha realised with a flash of guilt that seeing the doctor here had driven all thoughts of the otters from her head. Lock the door, Martha shouted. Block it with something! She rushed to the double doors and grabbed the handles, just as they began to shake and rattle. Ty brought over a drip stand and pushed it through the handles, barring the door. Martha thought for a moment. Do we have any weapons? Guns? Anything like that? We're in a biology laboratory, honey, Ty said pointedly. Drugs, then? Tranquilizers? There's tranquilizers back in the zoo lab. We'd need to get past the otters to get them, Martha said. She went over to the side of the doctor's bed where his jacket was draped over a chair. She began to root about in his pockets and produced the sonic screwdriver. She advanced towards the door, the sonic screwdriver held out gingerly in front of her. A high-pitched, teeth-irritating whine filled the room and the sound of scrabbling at the door abruptly ceased. She slid back the stand that held the doors shut. Nothing happened. The doors shook slightly, but the expected inrush of otters didn't happen. Martha stepped forward, still holding the screwdriver out in front of her. She glanced back at the doctor, and then at Ty. Take care of him, she said. I'm trusting you, yeah? You can, replied Ty, as if Martha's words had been a challenge. Which one's the zoo lab? Back to the square, and then diagonally across to the right. Martha took another look at the doctor. With a brief nod, she stepped into the corridor. Ty dropped heavily into the chair by the doctor's bed. In his sleep, he gave a guttural moan. She squeezed his hand. You idiot, she hissed. What are you playing at, eh? What if this stuff kills you? What then? She gave a yelp as the doctor's hand suddenly gripped hers painfully. She looked down as his eyes flicked open. They were dark, like pools of tar. A cruel smile crossed his face. Martha! He hissed, glaring up at her. She tried to pull away, but his grip was too strong. It's Ty, sweetheart, she said softly. Martha's gone to so much need, he said. So much he paused and stared into her eyes. So bright! And then, 
His eyes snapped shut, and he sagged back onto the bed. Suddenly, there was a banging and a hammering at the door. Who's that? Hennig, came a gruff voice. Hennig Olsen. The otters, she began. They've gone, Hennig said. He came in, followed by a couple of other settlers, armed with spades. Everyone's gathering in the square. Come on. The orange-lit square was filling up with people, crying and shaking people. What's happened? asked Ty, looking around in fear. It was like the night of the flood, all over again. No one seemed to know exactly what had happened, although one thing was very quickly clear. Twenty people had completely and utterly vanished, and Martha Jones was amongst them. More than anything, Ty felt she'd let the doctor down. Back in the biolab, sitting beside his bed, a tiny, tiny part of her hoped he wouldn't wake up yet. Not until she'd worked out what she was going to say to him. Reports came back to her about the events of the night before. Doors and walls all around the square were covered with long scratches and the grass between the buildings bore numerous scuff and drag marks. The whole of the council had disappeared along with eight others, including Martha. And no one had seen Candy since the previous day. The only assumption they could make was that she'd been taken by the otters as well. Ty wanted to cry, but she didn't even have the energy for that. All she could do was sit by the doctor's bedside and hold his hand. Professor Benson? Ty jerked awake suddenly. Candy was standing in the doorway. She looked exhausted and... As Ty stood up, she almost collapsed in her arms. Ty manoeuvred her into the chair by the doctor's bed, and she all but fell into it. Where have you been? Ty asked, her voice equal parts anger and worry. Candy was shaking, her eyes wide. Ty crouched down beside the girl and took her hand. Where were you? We were worried. The otters, she began, but Candy was already nodding. I know, she said simply. I saw them. You saw them? I was in the forest. I heard the otters behind me, so I hid in a tree and I watched them. I let them go past and then started following them. They were heading for the city, for here. I knew I'd never catch them up. By the time I got here, she broke off, and Ty felt her squeeze her fingers tightly. It was too late. They were herding the councillors back through the forest like sheep, nipping at their legs and feet. Dory Chan was swearing at them like a trooper, but they just kept going, forcing them back out into the forest. I hid up a tree again. The poor girl looked as miserable as Ty had ever seen her look. She almost didn't want to ask her the next question, but she knew she had to. Did you see Martha? We found the doctor's sonic thing on the ground. Martha had taken it with her. No one's seen her since. Candy shook her head. It was dark, so I might have missed her, but I don't think so. Ty didn't know whether this was more or less worrying. If Martha hadn't been taken by the otters, then where was she? Had Ty but known it, Martha had been almost as confused as her. 
she had stood in the darkness, sonic screwdriver in hand, and watched as a confused and shifting mass of darkness moved across the other side of the square. It took her a few moments to realise what it was. People. A crowd of people. Their movements were odd and jerky, and only when Martha saw the shadows skipping along the ground did she work out that the crowd was being herded by otters. Martha gritted her teeth and made sure she had a firm grip on the screwdriver. This'd see em off. Only she'd never got as far as seeing em off. Barely had she taken two steps in the direction of the rapidly departing crowd than her feet managed to catch on something. With a loud oof, she went sprawling full length. Reflexively, her arms shot out to stop herself and she had felt warm fur slipping and sliding under her hands. Hands that no longer held the doctor's beloved Sonic. In panic, she'd reached for the ground beneath her, hoping against hope that the Sonic would still be there, that she'd feel the comforting solidity of the little device. But all she felt were more otters. Martha rolled over onto her side, away from the furry bodies. She couldn't tell how many there were. Half a dozen? Ten? In seconds, she was back on her feet. She raised her hands defensively and, to her amazement, the little semicircle of otters backed away from her. Keep back, Martha warned, knowing that they wouldn't understand her words but hoping that the tone of her voice would speak volumes. One of the otters squeaked at her. At least... What? exclaimed Martha. Not, squeaked the otter again. Hurt. You can talk? Not hurt, the otter repeated. Come now! It was amazing how much urgency the little creature could get into its voice. Three or four of the otters moved towards her, their mouths open. Martha could see their gleaming incisors and suddenly wasn't sure how much trust she could put in not hurt. Another couple moved in, bumping their noses against her legs as if urging her on. OK, OK, she said, raising her hands. Point taken. With one last look back at Sunday City, Martha had let herself be led out into the darkness of the forest. Ty had stayed with the doctor for a little while longer. Candy had fallen asleep in the room next door. Checking the doctor was sleeping comfortably, Ty wandered miserably across the square to the zoo lab and started to tidy up. After this, she didn't think she'd really want to work with the otters no matter how things turned out. As she rattled the last of the cages into place, there was a noise behind her, and she turned sharply to see Candy, standing in the doorway. The doctor is awake, Candy said. He's in the biolab with Orlo, and he wants to see you. Ah, Professor Benson, the doctor said as Ty entered. I owe you an apology. What for? Orlo here, tell me what happened to your people last night. I should have been here to stop it instead of turning myself into a my first little chemistry set. But it was the only way to find out what the alien proteins were for. He nodded. Yeah, it's not something I fancy going through again in a hurry, but as an intelligence-gathering exercise, it wasn't totally unsuccessful, he grinned. Those slime things, the beasties in the nests, I know what they want. He paused for dramatic effect. Us, he whispered. The further she was from the settlement, the more nervous Martha was becoming. After their initial conversation, the otters had remained largely silent. 
The couple of times that Martha tried to find out where they were all going were met with silence, and she was beginning to wonder whether she'd imagined hearing words in amongst their squeaks. Up ahead, a domed black shape showed against the darkness of the forest. Although Martha didn't remember seeing one of the otters' nests from the outside, she knew full well what it was. Her pulse began to quicken as her little furry entourage guided her down into their home. Memories of the last time she'd been in a nest came rushing back and she fought back the rising panic. But as her eyes became acclimatised to the darkness, she realised that this nest was a little different to the other one. The pit at the centre, instead of being filled with water, contained only soil. So what now? Martha said, hunching herself up against the far wall and hooking her arms around her knees. I suppose that take me to your leader won't help, will it? Leader bad, said one of them. Hurt. Your leader's hurt. Bad leader. Leader hurt. Hurt bad. Martha shook her head. Just rearranging the words isn't going to help, she said. Is your leader hurt? No leader, repeated the otter. Leader bad. Leader hurt us. Ah! Martha reckoned it was making a certain kind of sense. Right. Let me see if I'm getting this right. You don't have a leader, yeah? No leader, agreed the otter. But a leader has hurt you? Something you think of as a leader? Leader hurt us. Bad. Don't want leader. Leader wants us. Leader wants you. And by leader, Martha ventured, you mean those slime things, don't you? Martha tried not to think too hard about what the otter's leader had done to her, how it made her feel angry, hungry, violent. It had worn off with her as it had worn off with the otters, well, these otters at least. But why these otters? A sudden thought came to her. Before, she said slowly, trying to keep her speech simple, where were you? Before? Before you found me, after the leader hurt you, where were you? Square nests, one of the otters said. Square nests? What the dickens were square nests? But no explanation was forthcoming from the otters. So why have you brought me here? Help us, said the otter. Help you. A bout of squeaking and squeeing ensued, and then three of the otters rushed off through a hole in the side of the nest. They returned a few moments later, rolling something the size of a football in front of them. As they pushed it up against Martha's feet, she realised that it was made of a sort of wickerwork, like the roof of the nest. She picked it up, but it was too dark to see what was inside it. And then suddenly, the whole thing moved in her hands and she dropped it. More cautiously this time, she pulled it back towards her and peered through the mesh of reeds. Inside, only just visible, something glistened wetly, shifting about.
End of disc one. Disc two. Why would these slime creatures want us? Ty asked. The doctor tapped his finger against his lip. Well, it makes a certain kind of sense, he said eventually. What do you know about SETI? Another word for a sofa, Candy suggested. Something to do with whales? Ty ventured. Cetaceans? He shook his head. What are they teaching people in school these days? Come on, we've got work to do. He raced round Ty to the door. Where are you going? She said, jumping to her feet. Where are we going? You mean? Replied the doctor, halfway out of the room. Ty shook her head and followed. Candy bringing up the rear. Okay, Ty called, trying to catch up. Where are we going? We, he called back over his shoulder, are going to the same place that they've taken the others. Their nests. The doors ahead slammed open as the doctor strode out into the orange daylight. Nope, he shouted. The river. How do you know they've gone there? He tapped the side of his head. That's one of the things the proteins told me. So they are encoding information. He pulled a disparaging face. As information encoding goes, it's all a bit shoddy, a bit make do and mend. He waved his fingers in the air dismissively. Rather amateur, actually, but I suppose it did its job. Which was? Asked Ty. They wanted us all fired up, angry, acting on instinct. He explained. It helps to override our intelligence, our free will. My guess is that they're still experimenting, still trying to work out the right proteins, the right RNA strings to pull our strings. Oh, he glanced at Candy. Remind me to use that one again. Where was I? Oh yes, I think they were just testing us, us non-otters. That is, they've had months to practice on them, and by now they've probably got the hang of pulling their strings perfectly. The stuff they injected into Martha and that I injected into myself was fairly simple: a few trigger chemicals, a sprinkling of dumb, and a bit of angry. Oh, and some pictures. Pictures of what? Swamps, water, otters—just the usual holiday snaps. And a very nice postcard of your old city. The settlement. Why? I think they're curious. He whispered, very curious. The slime creatures. About the settlement, about us, and about what's in the settlement. Martha felt the woven ball move slightly in her hands as the thing inside it shifted again. It was about the size of a fist, but blobby and shapeless. Martha made the instant connection between it and the slime things. It's a baby, isn't it? She said in a whisper. A baby slime creature. The otters squeed and chattered. Broken, said one, the one with the grey smudge on its ear. Broken leader. Martha didn't understand. Was it ill? Is that how they'd managed to catch it? Look, she said firmly. Thanks for the show and tell, but I'm not sure what you want me to do with it. Make broken, said the otter. Make broken. Martha sighed, setting the ball down by her knee. "You want me to make this more broken?" she asked, gesturing to the shaking ball. "Leader," 
said the one with the smudged ear. Make broken. Only then did it suddenly hit her. The otters wanted her to do what they couldn't. They wanted her to make the leader, the parent of this thing in the basket, broken. They wanted her to kill it. Candy found herself hanging back a little as the three of them reached the rise beyond which lay the start of the old settlement. She could smell the wet and the damp from the flooded river plain ahead. You okay? It was the doctor. She forced a smile and nodded. Just tired, she said. He nodded as if he understood. Maybe you should go back, he suggested. Have a bit of a kip. Candy shook her head. I'm fine, honestly. What's the plan? The doctor grinned down at her. Step one, we find out where they all are. Step two, I use a sonic screwdriver to stun the otters. And step three, we move in and get your people out as quickly as possible. What about the slime creatures? asked Ty. I hope that they're not going to be much of a problem. I suspect they're mainly aquatic and they've used the otters as their hands and eyes and ears. But any sign of them and we leg it, got that? Candy and Ty nodded. They dropped to all fours as they reached the crest of the rise. The doctor glanced back and grinned. Let's take a look, shall we? He crept to the brow of the hill. There, there, he hissed. Candy scuttled alongside him. Down on the mud flats, she could see about half a dozen of the settlers. They were drifting in and out of the technical services unit, carrying bits and pieces, plans, wires. They looked like zombies. Robots. And amongst them, stationary, were the otters. Why aren't the otters moving? she whispered. Probably been given orders just to watch your people. They're the ones that the slimies are concentrating on. So this control, it was Ty, how does it work? The slimies put instructions in their heads and then, then the humans carry them out. They have to be relatively simple. The slimies encoding isn't sophisticated enough yet to give them very complex tasks. Stuff like, go there, get this, take it there, I should imagine. And there will be a homing instruction too. The proteins don't last long, so the slimies need to make sure that the humans go back to them for more instructions before the chemicals break down. If you hadn't tied me down last night, I'd probably have made a break for the water trying to get back to them. Martha had a similar reaction. Where are the rest of them? They must be busy elsewhere. That's a bit of a bummer, isn't it? Still, can't be helped. If we can rescue these, it's a start. He reached down and fished in his pocket for the sonic screwdriver. Everybody ready? Slowly he stood up, raised the sonic screwdriver and held it out in front of him and pressed the button. The tip glowed a fierce blue-white and it began to hum. And then, with a noise like a rapidly deflating balloon... The light went out. He turned sharply to Ty. What have you been doing with this? He peered at it closely. It's full of mud, he wailed. It's dead. It won't be the only thing, said Ty in a low voice. Look. Everyone looked over the rise. Down below, the otters had seen them and were flowing out from amongst the settlers towards them. Run! shouted the doctor. Both of you, get back to the city. No way, said Candy. Candy, said Ty, go on. I've got two trank guns in my pocket. Get back to the city and tell everyone what we've seen, just in case, you know. I'm not going. 
Candy said stubbornly. You two are no match for the others. Oh, you'd be surprised, said the doctor. Please, Candy, just go. We'll be back, honest. Why not come with me now, then? Because I want to find out more about what's going on. Candy's shoulders fell. She knew that he wouldn't give up until she'd gone. Right, she said eventually. Fine, just, you know, come back, yeah? Yeah, he smiled. Now get moving! Candy glanced back down the slope. The wave of otters was closer, much closer. With a quick squeeze of Ty's hand, she headed back towards Sunday City. The otters approached in a broad wave, pausing 50 metres or so away. Oh, now that's interesting. The doctor gestured down the slope. The otters, like a sea of brown fur, were parting, moving aside to leave a clear path through the centre of them. Come into my parlour, whispered the doctor. Am I the only one to get the feeling we've been set up here? Ty glanced to the left and the right and saw that the otters had executed a perfect pincer movement, slipping behind them, trapping them. Down on the mudflats, the half-dozen humans went about their business silently, like robots, and the otters parted further, funnelling the doctor and Ty to the edge of the water. Ty shuddered. If they think I'm going swimming, she said, then they're out of their tiny minds. Oh, I don't think they have tiny minds at all, the doctor said, not the slimies at any rate. In fact, I think they're rather large ones. Not their own, granted, but still pretty big. Think of them as timeshares. Seti, Ty cried and snapped her fingers. That computer thingy. But that was abandoned years ago. Knew you'd get there eventually, said the doctor. Seti, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. So, Professor Benson, tell me what you know about it. This is just so you can look all smug and clever, isn't it? Go on then. It was some sort of government scheme, American, I think, to look for alien signals, radio messages. She looked at the doctor. Right? He just smiled. And because it needed loads of computing to analyse the signals, they came up with a sort of timeshare plan. People all around the world, ordinary people with computers at home, logged onto this network and let their computers do some of the work for them. I'm right, aren't I? Gold star, Professor, beamed the doctor. So you're saying that the slimies are like that, but with brains? It fits the evidence. In their natural state, I bet they're pretty stupid. But when they land on a planet, they find some smart creatures and hijack their brains for a while. They hive off some thinking, some processing into, well, say otters, or people, or whatever they can. And then, later, the otters or people go back to the slimies, upload the results of all that thinking, and the slimies repeat it again with other otters. Or people, Ty finished. It's horrible. It's very effective, though. The slimies use the resources of the planet they infect. No need to carry around whopping great brains of their own. And it means they begin with a head start, as it were. Who better than the natives to know how the local environment works, what the weather's like, where the best coffee shop is. Instinct becomes intelligence. Just like that. Brilliant! But the expression on his face changed as the waters before them began to swirl and churn. Ty took a step back, only to discover that the otters had enclosed them, trapping them against the shore. You know what you said earlier? Ty whispered about the slimies being aquatic and how we'd be safe if we stayed away from the water. Suddenly, the surface of the water was broken with a huge foamy splash. A figure rose up from the water, drenching them all. 
Ty steeled herself for one of the tendrils that had attacked Martha in the nest. But the thing that came towards them was the last thing she'd expected to see. It was Pallister. Pallister stared at them with dead black eyes. His upright body swung limply like a corpse as it floated towards them across the water. Its feet dragged the surface and they could see the huge tendril that supported him from behind. It split into three smaller ones, moistly green, piercing his skull at the back and the sides, like fingers stuck into a ten-pin bowling ball. They pulsed and throbbed as if they were pumping fluids in and out of the man's brain. You, said Pallister, will be me. Is that right? said the doctor, folding his arms. Well, excuse me if I decline your very kind offer. I rather enjoy being me, actually. Pallister, or the thing that controlled him, seemed to consider the doctor's words for a moment. It's processing, the doctor whispered to Ty. The thing that's operating poor old Pallister is using his brain to translate, much quicker than time-sharing the otter's brains, I imagine. Why? came the reply, after what seemed like forever. Why? said the doctor indignantly. Why? Why do you think I was born me? I've lived my life, well, most of it, as me, and I'd rather like to carry on being me. That's the way I am. Pallister's body twitched as one of the creature's tendrils jerked. Interesting evolutionary tactic, the doctor mused, peering at Pallister. Just squat in the brains of the creatures on whatever planet you find yourself on. Shame that I'm here to hand out an eviction notice to you. You've got exactly ten minutes to vacate the property before I send the bailiffs in. Pallister said nothing, and Ty suspected that the creature controlling him hadn't understood a word of it. What the doctor means, she added loudly, is get your miserable ass out of there. The doctor looked at her, a hurt expression on his face. That's what I said. Like you said earlier, Ty whispered, it's not the brightest of things. No he agreed, but it's bright enough to trick us into coming here, I think. What's that all about, then? He was addressing Pallister. I mean, you obviously need these people to do some dirty work for you, but you'd programme the otters to bring us to you before we'd even arrived, otherwise they'd have torn us to pieces by now. Why? To assess you, Pallister said. He and the others knew you would come to me. Pallister thinks that you are intelligent that you might serve my purpose. What do you hope to gain from using Pallister anyway? Ty asked, the crumbling husk hanging before them. Yes, agreed the doctor. What's the point of this ridiculous puppet show? Normal communication with you is inefficient, Pallister intoned. Well, it would be, agreed the doctor. We're not well equipped for your particular brand of chemical chat. This mode will facilitate the extraction of information useful to reproduction. The doctor pulled a face. You do realise that you've put images in my head that even industrial strength mind bleach isn't going to erase, don't you? He said. How many of you are there, then? How many of you came down with that meteorite? I am one. Just the one? Well, you have been putting yourself about a bit. You must be huge, then, he stopped. What do you mean, useful to reproduction? What's Pallister got to do with it? And do I really want to hear the answer? The information that Pallister contains will facilitate my reproduction 
and Pallister thinks you can add to that information. The doctor rolled his eyes. We are going to be here all day. What information could Pallister possibly have that could help you spawn or bud or whatever it is you do? There was another agonising pause whilst the Swamp Thing processed the doctor's words through Pallister's brain. It believes that I should not tell you, came Pallister's voice after a few moments. It, the doctor shouted, it! It is a human being! It is a man called Pallister! Doctor! said Ty suddenly. Extruding itself from the main tendril, supporting Pallister's body was another thinner one. Glassy and glistening, it was heading towards the doctor. You will be me, intoned Pallister soullessly. Not today, thank you, shouted the doctor, and reached down to grab one of the trank guns from Ty's hand. He stretched out his arm, and there was a soft fft as the dart embedded itself in the remains of Pallister's chest. Seconds later, the body twitched as if it were being electrocuted, and the tendrils supporting it jerked back. The one lancing through the air, heading for the doctor, began waving and thrashing about aimlessly. I think I might have given it a bit of a headache, the doctor noted dryly. Around them, the otters were motionless. The zombified settlers continued to drift in and out of the grey building as if nothing were happening. Suddenly, Pallister's body shuddered, like a dog shaking itself dry. Then, still suspended by the pulsing green ropes boring into its head, it plunged back into the water. Ty looked at the otters, standing along the bank. Their faces were blank, but she could feel their eyes boring into them. Now what? she said. Well, said the doctor, my guess is that the otters are still following their instructions to guide us down to the water and not let us retreat. And if we try to move, I suspect they'll have a pretty good go at tearing us limb from limb. He scratched his chin. What we could really do with now is a miracle. A miracle, scoffed Ty, watching the otters as they stood, teeth bared, all around them. Yes, said the doctor firmly, a miracle. A miracle, a bit like that one. He was staring over Ty's shoulder. She turned to see what he was looking at. Over the crest of the hill, whooping and shouting fit to scare cattle, was Martha Jones, accompanied by the dirtiest dozen of otters Ty had ever seen, all screeching and squealing and leaping up and down as they came. You have got to be kidding, Ty gasped. Martha had been no less amazed herself, as she stood at the brow of the hill, accompanied by the otters, and watched the dangling figure of a man, supported by a whopping great tentacle, crash back into the water. She'd arrived just in time to see the end of what looked like a showdown between the man and the Doctor and Ty. The Doctor had raised his arm and fired what looked like a tiny gun at the puppet man. Seconds later, it had all been over. Well, apart from the fact that Ty and the Doctor were now surrounded by dozens of otters, trapping them on the mud. Do something, Martha urged her furry friends. Help them! An outbreak of squeaking broke out amongst the otters at her feet, interspersed with odd words. Call them, help them, talk, talk! Will they understand you? she asked the otters. They? the one with the smudged ear repeated. Martha pointed to the otters surrounding the Doctor and Ty. Can you talk to them? You talk to them. She jabbed her hands back and forth frantically, but the smudgy-eared one stared at her. Talk, no, he squeaked. Martha's shoulders fell. Shout, yes, he added. Might scare. Nice one, cried Martha. Might scare is good. Definitely might scare. Shout, she added. Oh, yes.
As the guard otters saw Martha's little strike force hurtling down the slope, they began to move, glancing at each other, quivering in their little furry boots, giving every impression of being confused. In and amongst all the squeaks and cries her otters bellowed, Martha heard the odd word, Run! and hide! and water teeth coming! What water teeth were, Martha could only imagine. Probably some predator that hid in the swamps, and of which the otters were mortally afraid. It was this latter that seemed to have the greatest effect, for within seconds, as Martha's team reached the others, the slime thing's conditioning finally broke. And in a mad, panicky flurry, the zombie otters fled, scattering out across the slope in a storm of fur and squeals. General Martha Jones of the 7th Cavalry, said Martha, saluting smartly. To the rescue, sir. General Jones, beamed the doctor, returning the salute. I'm going to be recommending you for a commendation. Come here. And he swept her up in a huge hug, lifting her feet clear off the ground. Now, he said, dropping her back on her feet and looking around at the sleepwalking settlers, let's see if we can't wake these sleeping beauties up. The sun had vanished behind the clouds as the strange little band reached Sunday City. Waking the hypnotised settlers had been surprisingly easy. The doctor went to each one in turn, whispered in their ears, and then clicked his fingers in front of them. One by one, they'd come out of their chemically-induced trance, apparently stunned to find themselves standing ankle-deep in mud on the edge of the old city. The journey back had been a sombre affair. Martha and Ty had wanted to talk to the settlers, find out what had happened, what they thought they were supposed to be doing, but the doctor had cautioned against hassling them too much. So... They passed the trip with Ty and the Doctor explaining to Martha exactly what they'd encountered down at the water's edge. Martha, likewise, explained all about her little trip to the otter's nest. Of the otters, both friendly and unfriendly, there was no sign. Martha hoped that their brave actions hadn't put any of them in danger, but the Doctor reassured her that the brainwashed otters were unlikely to have been any threat to the others. I think we have you to thank for them. The doctor said to Ty. The one with the smudge on its ear, Ty said. Thought I recognised him. What? said Martha. We all little A-team, the doctor explained. They were Ty's otters. The ones she'd had in the zoo lab. When the controlled ones went on their kidnapping rampage here, your friends took the opportunity to let themselves out of their cages and decided that we were their best chance to help get rid of Slimy. The other settlers rushed out to greet them, but there was a sense of defeat in the air at the fact that they hadn't managed to rescue all of the kidnapped humans. You did good, you know, the doctor said, as Ty vanished into the crowd of settlers. Thanks, said Martha. The rescued settlers had been gathered in the hospital where Sam Hashmi and his staff were checking them over. The doctor whirled in, Martha at his heels, and surveyed the scene. Gently does it, I think, Dr Jones, he said quietly. They probably won't have much conscious memory of what they were doing, so let's tread softly. The doctor moved to cover one side of the room. Martha picked out a woman, a kindly, motherly-looking woman. She was perched on the edge of a bed, sipping at a mug of tea. Hi, she said, sitting down beside her. I'm Martha. How are you? The woman, whose name Martha discovered was Marge, smiled tightly. Fine, she said. Just fine. Just wanted to see if there was anything you remembered. You know, about before. It was like... Marge stumbled for words. 
like being in someone else's head, looking out through their eyes. She turned to Martha. Does that make sense? You've no idea, Martha replied. It happened to me too. It's the loss of control, Marge continued. The feeling of being violated, of everything that's you just pushed aside for that... that... She couldn't finish the sentence. Abruptly, the mug dropped from her fingers and crashed to the floor, tea splashing across the wooden floor like a wave breaking on a shore. Martha's mouth went dry, and for just a moment, an image of cool, clear water sprang into her head. Suddenly, the doctor was there in front of her. I don't know if I can do this, she whispered. Of course you can, Dr Jones, he said. Just remember, the chemicals are gone from you. That thing has no power over you any more. But what about us? It was Marge, her voice trembling. What about me? That's why Martha needs to speak to you now, the doctor said gently, before the chemicals in you vanish completely. You'll be fine, trust me. But we need to find out what you were being made to do. You do understand, don't you? Marge nodded, uncertainly. OK, said Martha. Let's start at the beginning, shall we? Useless, said Martha. Absolutely useless. The doctor sighed. Sadly, he said, I'm inclined to agree with you. There's just not enough to go on, not without poking deeply enough to trigger psychotic episodes like you suffered. I'd try a bit of hypnosis if I didn't think it'd be too intrusive. Martha nodded. It's like most of them didn't even know what the objects were that they were being told to fetch. And their memories are fading quickly, the doctor sighed. Human brain chemistry is obviously more resilient than the otters. And let's face it, if I wasn't able to get anything out of what happened to me, what chance of these poor people? Suddenly, Martha's hand flew to her mouth. Hang on, she whispered. You said that hypnosis would be too intrusive, yeah? The doctor looked at her thoughtfully. Go on. Martha narrowed her eyes. Tell me I'm wrong, that I haven't grasped how the psychic paper works, but couldn't you... <gasps> yes! The doctor leaped up and almost punched the air. Why didn't I think of that? Martha Jones, you just keep getting better and better. Just take a few deep breaths, said the doctor to Marge. Let yourself relax. That's it. Now, look at this piece of paper. Try to think about what you were doing, what you were carrying back there at the settlement. Tell me what you see. Martha watched Marge closely, saw the puzzlement on her face. Puzzlement that was suddenly replaced by incredulity. That's... It looks like some sort of circuit, doesn't it? An electronic circuit. She looked up at the doctor and Martha. Is that right? The doctor whipped the psychic paper back into his pocket and grinned. Oh yes, Marge, that's so right. Now you have a nice sleep, you'll feel much better when you wake up, believe me. Marge smiled gently, nodded and lay back on the bed. Within seconds, she was asleep. Wow! Even Martha was impressed. Does that help, though? Oh, yes. And I've only just started. Care to accompany me on my rounds? 
The settlers responded well to the psychic paper, letting it gently draw out the buried memories of what they'd been told to fetch, where they'd been told to take it. To Martha, none of the individual bits and pieces meant much, but the doctor was getting more and more excited. Slimy boy out there is making something, building something. Like what? Something big and chunky. A bit like me, he said, only with added electronics. They're building a fruit machine, grinned Martha. Oh, please, the doctor said, his mouth downcast. One of those dance step machines at the very least. Still, I'll let it all stew in the doctoratronic for a while, he tapped his head. We'll have a look at Baby Slimy. Maybe that'll supply the missing bits. The zoo lab was deserted. Ty had left a note pinned to the cage in which she'd placed the wicker sphere containing the baby Slimy. Gone to find Candy. Thought you'd like the honour of checking out Junior. Love, Ty. The doctor popped his glasses on and set about cutting through the otter's handiwork to the thing that flopped inside. It reminded Martha of a greeny black cow's tongue, about six inches long and four across, one end rounded, the other raggedly flat. The doctor held it up with a pair of tweezers. Look at that flat edge. This has been cut. Cut from the tip of one of the big slimy's tentacles. Probably poked itself into your chum's nest and they managed to slice it off. But it's a baby too. Given the right environment and food, this little chap could grow up just like his daddy. Or mummy. Well, that's how slimy reproduces then. Chop off a bit of him and it grows into a new one. Looks like it. Give me another half hour with him and I'll let you know for sure. He paused and looked up expectantly. And although it'd be dreadfully sexist of me to suggest it, a couple wouldn't half go down well right about now. Martha raised an eyebrow at him. I'll let you off. Just this once. One lump or two. Martha ran almost literally into Ty as she was fetching the doctor his tea. They almost collided on the steps of the zoo lab. Ty looked flustered. I can't find her, she said. Who? Candy. No one's seen her. But she came back here. Ty shook her head. I don't think she did. She left us, but there's been no sign of her at all. She must be somewhere. Why wouldn't she have come straight back here? Even as she asked the question, Martha knew the answer. Well, one possible answer. Two, actually. Maybe she decided to see if she could find the other settlers? she suggested. Ty supplied the second possibility. And maybe she got caught. What Pallister said, Ty asked. What that thing said about reproduction. What did it mean? A couple of dozen Sundayans, along with the Doctor, Martha and Ty, had gathered in the council chamber. That's what I've been wondering too, the Doctor replied. He perched himself on the corner of the council table and pulled an assortment of thoughtful faces. What do we know about this thing, then? he continued. There's just the one of it, and it's absolutely massive. Makes sense that it lives in water, really. Buoyancy will help support its body. And judging by the bit that Martha here brought back, it reproduces by binary fission, spitting off bits of itself. I had a good poke at it. Distributed nervous system, no single brain, no particularly specialised organs. Chop it into a million billion pieces and before you know it, you've got a million billion new ones. He pulled a thoughtful face. 
would explain a lot about its intelligence too. Your relative lack of. With a nervous system and brain spread throughout its enormous body, it's a fairly slow thinker. Let's limit how fast nerve impulses can travel through its tissue. It can grow as big as it needs, and there's no predators here on Sunday. And judging by its rate of cell division, it's not planning on dying of old age any time soon, so it doesn't need children competing for resources. He shook his head. So there's really only one reproductive strategy that makes sense. That picture you drew, Martha, when we brought you back from the otter's nest. That single great blob enveloping the planet. Well, if it's got this planet sewn up all by itself, what would be the purpose of reproducing, eh? He looked around the room like a schoolteacher waiting for the right answer to an algebra question. To spread to other planets? ventured Martha. First class honours, he grinned, to spread to other planets. After all, I think we can be fairly sure that it arrived on or in the meteorite that caused the flood. OK, said Martha thoughtfully, but it can't exactly conjure itself another meteorite out of nowhere to hitch a ride on. It can't repair the settler's ship. And it doesn't have the brains to make itself a great big space catapult to shoot its little babies into our space with. Suddenly, Martha's mouth dropped open. Unless that's what it was getting the settlers to build. The doctor shook his head. Much too small. And remember what it said about Pallister, that the information he contained would facilitate its reproduction. I don't imagine Pallister was a secret expert on building a giant space catapult. He stopped suddenly. So what did Pallister do before he became head of your council? He was a technician, said Hennig. What kind of a technician? Where did he work? Hennig's eyes suddenly went wide. Ty was a step ahead of him already. He worked in the power station and helped set up the refinery, she said. The ore refinery. The doctor's shoulders fell. Don't tell me, he said heavily. Uranium ore. For that beautiful uranium-powered spaceship of yours. Ty nodded, her mouth suddenly dry. And a man that knows all about how to refine and use uranium, the doctor said slowly, is now dangling from the end of that creature's tentacles and you can do a lot more with refined uranium than just power a spaceship. He caught Martha's eye. It took her a few moments to catch up. You have so got to be kidding, she said eventually. That thing is going to build a bomb? The doctor's gaze didn't waver. Martha went on, hardly believing the words she was saying. It's going to use Pallister's knowledge to build an atomic bomb and blow itself into space. That's what the settlers were making. Ty shook her head. I might only be a zoologist, but even I know that setting off a nuclear bomb right under your ass isn't just going to fling you to your next home. The doctor gave a shrug. We survived the journey to Sunday well enough, though floating between the stars as a little blob on that asteroid. There's a lot of very hard radiation out there, extremes of temperature. He drummed his fingers against his bottom lip. In fact, he said, that would make perfect sense. But I don't think we need to worry about that after all, he grinned. To make a plan like that actually work, it'd need a shaft down into the planet. Ooh, a few hundred metres deep at least. And where's it going to find one of those around here? Martha looked around the room. An awkward hush had fallen. Oh, great, said the doctor, his shoulders sinking. Just 
Great! Candy knew she ought to feel guilty for coming back here on her own, ignoring the doctor's instructions. But really, she didn't. She knew that his tell the settlement had just been an excuse to get her out of danger. No, it made more sense for her to find the rest of the kidnapped Sundayans. Even if she couldn't actually rescue them, she could at least let everyone else know exactly where they were. So she started off back to the city and then took a wide loop around, bringing herself out near the riverbank a kilometre upstream of where she'd left the doctor and Ty. Suddenly, she heard a faint and distant noise. A low, mechanical droning. It drifted across the treetops from well beyond the far bank. She looked back towards Sunday City, wondering if the doctor and Ty had heard the sound. But it was so faint that she wasn't even sure she was hearing it herself. Quietly, she stepped into the open and began to make her way upstream, looking for a shallow crossing point, pausing every few metres to listen. And the more she listened, the more certain she became, and the more puzzled. Why had someone decided to start up the drill? On the other side of the forest, nearly two kilometres away from the original settlement, stood the spindly tower of the deep drill, a skeletal column of metal scaffolding over a hundred metres tall. Thirty metres away stood the drill's squat control room, and wandering between the two, silently, were the remaining kidnapped settlers. You know, said the doctor, his eyes sweeping grimly around the room. I'm half afraid that if I tell you that the worst thing just at this moment would be an army of killer robots with flashing red laser beam eyes, someone would open a cupboard door and point out that you've already got one. He was seething, Martha could tell. Anyway, he seemed to calm down a little. This drill, tell me more about it. A youngish man with long straggly blonde hair raised a hand at the back of the crowd. Well, it's for extracting low-grade uranium ore, he said. The extensible bit can go as deep as 500 metres. There's a reasonable seam of ore down there. The drill makes a hole and then we drop low-grade explosives down to fracture it. And then leach it out with a chemical solution, asked the doctor, and pump it back up to the surface for processing? The man nodded. So much for your intentions to switch to fusion power, the doctor said darkly. Looks like you've already got yourself a long-term energy policy. But what's this got to do with that creature wanting to set off a nuclear bomb under our backsides? Hennig put in. Never heard of the Orion Project? asked the Doctor. It was an idea back on Earth in the 1940s for a nuclear pulse rocket. The idea was to build a big spaceship the size of a city and to power it by setting off nuclear bombs under its bum. And it worked? This was Ty, eyes wide with disbelief. Oh, they never actually built it. Too many practical problems. But in theory it could have done. The back end of the ship was nothing more than a huge steel plate designed to absorb the radiation and act as a cushion, letting the energy of the bombs push the rocket forwards. Hennig shook his head. You're mad, he said. You expect us to believe that this thing's going to drop a bomb down the borehole and then sit back and go surfboarding into space on a chunk of rock? Oh, I've known people try to surfboard into space on far more unbelievable things, the doctor said. But yes, you've summed it up nicely. With perfect dramatic timing, Orlo came rushing into the room. 
They've started up the drill, he gasped. Oh, whoop-de-doo, said the doctor. How easy is it anyway to build an atomic bomb, asked Martha. Aren't they, like, quite technical? Oh, in principle, they're very simple, the doctor replied, making two fists and holding them out at arm's length. You get a metal casing and two small lumps of uranium, 235, along with a couple of explosive charges to slam them into each other. He brought his fists together. When combined, they create a critical mass. All you need is a bit of gubbins to hold it all in place, a bit more gubbins to act as a detonator, and voila! The doctor turned to Orlo. I hate to ask, he said, but we need someone out there to keep an eye on the otters. If that creature is planning to drop an atomic bomb down the borehole, we need as much warning as we can get. He gripped Orlo by the shoulder. You up for it? Orlo grinned. <laughs> Try and stop me, he said. He's a good lad, that one, the doctor said as Orlo vanished. Maybe you should make him the head of the council when this is all over. If said Ty. Oh, Professor Benson, exclaimed the doctor, look on the bright side. What's the point of this? asked Ty as she watched the doctor power up the centrifuge. With a whine, it rattled up to speed whilst the doctor rolled his sleeve back down and set the hypodermic back on the table. Plan B, the doctor said, or plan A, I suppose, depending on whether I can come up with a plan C. The doctor had dragged Ty over to the bio lab and, in a frenetic whirl of activity, had activated the tabletop display. He punched up dozens of different images of the proteins that he'd extracted from himself, Martha and the otters. She'd followed him around the room as he started up all sorts of pieces of equipment, transferring vials of fluid from one to another, running the results through the chromatograph and the sequencer and then going through the whole process all over again. Martha had been sent off to see if she could find any plans or schematics of the drill site. The doctor's final step had been the most frightening. With a cry of yes, he'd taken the last test tube of the straw-coloured fluid, filled a hypodermic with it, and jabbed it into his own arm. What the future are you doing? Ty cried. How could he be so stupid? Hadn't he learnt anything from what had happened last night? Doctor, she ventured after a few minutes. It seemed that he'd stopped breathing altogether. His body was motionless. Doctor? His eyes flicked open and Ty flinched. He was staring straight ahead, and although the whites of his eyes were still visible, his irises were completely black. A chill crept down Ty's spine. Not again, she thought. Please, not again. Orlo scanned the drill site. There was no doubt the kidnapped settlers were operating the deep drill and all around them the creepy figures of the otters stood guard. Orlo wished he'd thought to ask the doctor what a bomb might look like but he didn't imagine it would be so small that he might miss it. Suddenly, out of the corner of his eye, Orlo caught a flash of movement. There, in the shadow behind the drill control room, it couldn't be. Kneeling at the base of the building was an unmistakable figure, Candy. Candy's heart was pounding as she pressed herself into the corner behind the control room. She'd shuffled her way closer and closer to the drill site, convinced that this was something the settlers and the doctor needed to know about. From where she was hiding, all she could see was the top of the tower, a skinny metal finger pointing at the orange sky. And then suddenly she spotted something. 
Grinning at her and waving, buried in the shadows of the bushes, was Orlo, watching her, watching him. What's going on? asked Martha suspiciously as she burst into the bio lab. The doctor was fiddling around with tubes of liquids and pipettes in his shirt sleeves whilst Ty watched him, her arms folded sullenly. There was definitely an atmosphere in the room. What? said the doctor, with a forced brightness as he took a test tube out of a centrifuge and held it up to the light. We found some plans and whatnot, Martha said. They're looking them over back in the council chamber, for all the good it'll do. You're up to something, aren't you? Me? What's that? Martha indicated the yellowish liquid that the doctor was now pouring into two little glass and metal cartridges. He frowned and looked up at the ceiling, as if the answer to her question was written there. Plan D, I think. He flashed a grin at Ty. Or was it E? Then he swiped up his jacket from the back of a chair and slipped it on. No time like the present, and if we don't hurry, there really won't be. And with that, he slipped past Ty and Martha and through the doors. If someone had told Martha Jones just a few weeks ago that she'd find herself heading deliberately towards a nuclear bomb, she'd have laughed them out of the room. And yet here she was, on a swampy alien planet light years from Earth, doing just that. What if we can't stop it? she whispered to the doctor. Oh, we'll stop it, he sounded quietly confident. He always sounded quietly confident. Well, sometimes noisily confident, but always confident. Why are you doing this? It was Ty. Because if we don't, answered the doctor breezily, then Slimy Boy wins and we lose. And if I have one fault, it's that I'm not a good loser. You sound like you do this kind of thing often. More often than is healthy, believe me, said Martha, pushing a branch aside as they started up the slope that would bring them out above the drill site. A rustle of bushes further along the slope caught their eyes. It's Orlo, whispered Ty. Martha looked where she was pointing and could just make out his stocky frame, his back to them, squatting in the undergrowth. Go and get him, urged the doctor gently. If this doesn't work out, I want him as far away from here as possible. Ty squeezed the doctor's hand and went to get Orlo. Look before you leap. That's what people had always told Candy. They'd never given her the he who hesitates is lost one. Candy had never been given warnings about hesitating. She wished, just now, that someone had. The idea that had suddenly struck her as she waved goodbye to Orlo was just so obvious. Making sure that no one could see her hiding in the shadow at the corner of the building, she slowly stood upright, then stepped out into the light. And then, keeping her face fixed and flabby like the other settlers, she began to walk. The other Sundayans were acting on instructions that the slime thing had given them earlier. So were the otters. The slime thing wasn't actually remote controlling them, not in real time. So there was no reason why, if she didn't act threatening, any of them should react to her. They'd see her, if they saw her at all, as just another zombie. Her legs were shaking like jelly as she slowly threaded her way through the others and around the building to the doorway. Not even risking a tiny look back, she walked inside. Dory Chan was motionless by a big desk on which, unrolled, was a schematic of the drill mechanism and shaft. Dory was staring into space, 
as if she'd done what she was programmed for and was waiting for further instructions. Well, that didn't make sense, surely, thought Candy, as she moved alongside her. Hadn't the doctor said that when the slime creature's instructions had been completed, the settlers and the otters had to go back to it for more? That could only mean one thing. That the slime creature had no more instructions for Dory. And if it had no more instructions, then it had no more use for her. Candy snuck a glance out of the window. All around the settlers were coming to a halt. The otters were all stationary. And then she saw movement. One of the quad bikes was being pushed along by three of the settlers. The engine wasn't running, and on the cart at the back was a big, grey cylinder, almost as big as the engine of the quad bike itself. Following on behind were two more settlers, pushing a huge reel of grey electrical cable, unrolling it along the ground as they went. What were they doing? She followed the line of the cable and realised that it snaked in through the window of the control centre in which she stood. Candy ran to the cable and followed its route. It ended in a large locking plug on a control panel. Quickly she grabbed it and tried to turn it, but it was fixed tight. A keyed collar held it in place. Frantically she wrenched at it with her bare hands, but it was no use. It wasn't budging. Think, she told herself, trying to make sense of it all. The slime thing had control of the settlers, and the settlers were about to drop something down the drill shaft. Therefore, whatever it was had to be bad. She had to find a way to... Her train of thought was derailed as something moved in the shadows of the control room. Several somethings. Her mouth went dry and she froze as out of the darkness an otter appeared. Its beady eyes fixed on her. Silently, another one appeared, and then another. Within seconds, she was surrounded. The doctor clenched his fists and stared out over the drill site. So close. Down on the mud stood the kidnapped settlers. One or two of them had fallen over and were lying motionless on the ground. Scattered between them were the otters, and some of them looked like they were sleeping too. The only movement was at the base of the drill tower. He squinted. He could hardly make out what was going on. Three of the settlers had pushed one of the quad bikes up to the base of the drill. On the back was something fat and cylindrical. It could only be the bomb. Behind it, two more had unrolled a huge drum of cabling, letting it spool out loosely in the mud. Yards and yards and yards of it. Even if he ran down there at full tilt... It'd be too late now. As he watched, the settlers heaved at the bomb and it tumbled from the back of the bike and vanished out of sight into the drill shaft. Like battery-operated toys whose power had just run out, the settlers fell over and lay still. The cable, looped on the ground in great scribbling swirls, began to unravel, following it down the hole. We're too late, said the doctor softly, a bleakness in his voice that Martha had never heard before. They've done it. They've dropped the bomb. Without looking round, he reached out to his side and found Martha's hand. If this was how it ended, then it would be like this, the two of them, together. In silence they waited, and waited, and just for good measure, they waited a bit more. Maybe it's still falling, Martha ventured. Maybe it is.
So they waited just a bit more. Until the end of the cable, the end that really should have been plugged into a little box with a great big handle on top, flicked into sight and vanished down the hole after the bomb. You know, said the doctor slowly, as if trying not to be too presumptuous, I always said the Chinese did the best fireworks displays. He glanced at Martha. This one's rubbish, isn't it? And before she could say anything, he grabbed her in a whopping great hug and lifted her off her feet, swinging her round in the air a full three turns before plunking her back on the ground, still laughing. What happened? Martha said eventually, as dizzy from the hug as she was from the realisation that the bomb hadn't gone off and wasn't going to. Oh, I guess I'd say our moist little friend forgot to plug something in. Either that or... He stopped as the sound of an elephant crashing through the forest broke the silence. Both of them jumped as Ty and Orlo stumbled out of the bushes. Candy, Orlo panted. She, she did it. He pointed a trembling hand towards the drill site. Candice did what? Realisation suddenly dawned on the doctor. Candice did that? She sabotaged the bomb! And as if Candy had heard him, a little face appeared around the side of the building, peering cautiously up at them. Candice Kane, bellowed the doctor. Get yourself up here. Now there is a serious hugging waiting for you. Ty couldn't believe it. Somehow, Candy had stopped the bomb, and with just seconds to spare, she watched as the girl raced up the slope towards them. But she wasn't alone. Seconds later, she was followed by a tiny scampering procession of otters. For a moment, Ty froze. But then she noticed something about one of the otters. The grey, smudgy patch on one ear. These were her otters. Candy skidded and slipped a few times in her haste, but soon she was with them and they threw their arms around her, squeezing her until she squealed. The otters lined up a few yards away. What did you do, though? asked the doctor. Common sense, grinned Candy. Whatever that thing was dropping down the drill shaft had to be bad, didn't it? So when I saw the cable it was trailing, I tried to unplug it. Only it was locked in. And then these guys turned up. She turned and smiled at the otters. I thought I'd had it, that they were going to attack me or something, and then... She smiled and shook her head. They started talking. Can you believe it? Talking! We help, they said. So I pointed to the cable and I told them to cut it. And before I knew it, they jumped on it and were chewing at it like mad. A shadow of guilt passed across her face. I didn't think till afterwards that it might be electrified. Nah, said the doctor, only needed a tiny trigger signal. Lucky for them, Ty said. Lucky for us, Martha added. Trigger signal? Candy looked puzzled. Trigger for what? What was that thing, a nuclear bomb or something? She laughed. The doctor gave a shrug and a wink. Something like that, he said. But the feel-good factor didn't last. Once she thought about it, Martha realised it wouldn't. We've got to get down there and quick, the doctor said, suddenly fired up. We need to take that drill apart, with our bare hands if necessary, before Slimy realises that his little firecracker's turned into a damp squib. And we need to get the settlers out of there. They'll be waking up soon and I don't want Slimy to get another shot at them. And before anyone could say anything, the doctor was scrambling down the bank towards the drill. How long will it take before they start moving? 
Ty whispered as they threaded their way between the motionless otters. Minutes, the doctor said. Hours, maybe. Depends when they were last in contact with Slimy. As the proteins in their brains break down, they'll go back to being just otters. If you're wrong and they suddenly wake up, Doctor, we're in big trouble, Martha muttered. Nah, he said casually. When they wake up, they're going to be just like they were before Slimy arrived. They'll be smart and friendly, just like your little pals back there. You'd better be right, she said as they reached the control room. Where do we start? She stopped suddenly, aware of a sound she hadn't heard before. A soft, scraping sound, like a heavy body being dragged across dry soil. Orlo clearly heard it too. What's that? he whispered as the five of them froze. Martha saw that the doctor was looking up towards the roof of the control room. It's the man with the matches, he said softly. Come to see why his firework display didn't go off. Moving over the roof and descending rapidly towards them was the puppet-like form of Pallister, still suspended from the throbbing green tendrils buried in his skull. Back away, muttered the doctor fiercely, pushing Martha behind him. Move! Now! Martha turned instinctively, only to see a shimmering tide of green-black flesh oozing around the sides of the control centre, like a huge hand reaching out for them. You have interfered, came the creature's voice from Pallister's mouth. The spawning time is here, and you have interfered. You will interfere no more. And with that, two huge tongues of oily flesh licked out from around the building and lunged for them. Wait, shouted the doctor, raising his hands. Wait, listen to me. Oh, yeah, said Martha scathingly. Well, that's gonna work. She stopped mid-sentence as she saw, miraculously, the tendril pause in mid-air. Why? said Pallister slowly. Because I can help you, the doctor said. I can help you find other planets to colonise. That's what you want, isn't it? Well, let me help. There was a moment's silence. How? My spaceship, the TARDIS. What is that? asked Pallister, his voice flat and dead. It's how I got here, how I came to this planet. A blue box, you've seen it. You pulled Martha out of it, remember? Under the water. The otters picked up the image of it from you. This? said Pallister. And before their eyes, the tip of the tendril reshaped itself into a rough, featureless approximation of the TARDIS. That's it, cried the doctor eagerly. You know where it is. If you get it out of the swamp, I can use it to spread your children across the galaxy better than you could ever do yourself. It's a trick, thought Martha instantly. There was no way the doctor would offer to help the creature infect other planets, other worlds. Why? came the rasping gurgle from Pallister's mouth. Why? Because it's the only way to make you leave this planet and leave these people. Pallister just stared at them, or the creature behind it did. Martha had no idea whether it understood the concept of a double cross. If it was filtering everything through what was left of Pallister's brain, it must have known that the Doctor might be trying to trick it. 
But perhaps the creature's instinct to reproduce was just so strong, its own intelligence so pitiful, that it wouldn't be able to see beyond its own blind drive to make more swamp creatures. Yes, said Pallister suddenly. Without warning, the green tendril that still held the shape of the TARDIS flowed out into a grasping funnel and clamped itself around the Doctor's head. Yes, repeated Pallister soullessly as the rope of alien flesh spread out and began to engulf him. You will help me. You will be me. I will take the TARDIS. I will be everywhere. Now. Show me how. No, yelled Martha, racing after the doctor as the creature began to pull him back across the mud. Through the translucent flesh, threaded with dark veins, she could see the doctor's features, his mouth open in horror, his eyes wide. It was spreading slowly down over his shoulders like gelatinous oil smothering him. Stand back, someone ordered. Martha turned. It was Ty, and she was holding a tiny gun. What? The words stuck in Martha's throat as she watched Ty expertly snap two glass and metal cartridges into the top of it, the same cartridges she'd seen the doctor filling with liquid back in the bio lab. There was a soft ft of compressed air, and Martha spun to see a feathered dart bounce harmlessly off the creature's flesh and fall to the ground. She glanced up to see Ty looking straight at her. Just checking she said, and lowered the aim of the gun a little. For some reason, her brown eyes were filling with tears. I'm sorry, Martha. I'm so sorry. For a second, Martha heard an echo of the doctor's own voice in ties. The times he'd apologised to others, the things done to them that he had no control over, things that he felt maybe he could have stopped. In that second... Martha realised what Ty was doing. If the poison dart couldn't penetrate the creature's flesh, there was only one way to get it into its system. Through the doctor. Martha leapt forwards. No way! You can't! she cried. But it was too late. She could almost see the dart leave the tranquilizer gun, almost see it as it trailed through the air. In silence, it buried itself in the doctor's leg. Martha watched as the swamp creature cocooned the doctor, like a fly caught in green amber. His struggles suddenly ceased, his body flopping limply in the creature's grasp. Silently, the alien monstrosity continued to drag him across the mud towards the water. And then suddenly, it stopped, and the surface of the creature's skin began to frost over. The cloudiness began to spread from the area of the doctor's head like a wave radiating outwards. It spread down as far as the doctor's feet, still protruding, almost comically, from the alien flesh. And then, with a horrid ripping sound, the creature's tendril burst, showering Martha with warm, slimy goo, and the doctor fell heavily to the ground, gasping and choking. Behind him, the massive bulk of the swamp creature's tendril had flopped to the ground, thrashing and writhing. Martha watched as the wave of frostiness continued to spread out over its surface, back towards the creature's body hidden in the water. 
More and more of the alien's body fluids pumped out across the soil like an out-of-control garden hose. There was a dull thud beside her, and she turned to see Pallister's body sprawled out on the ground like a discarded toy. The tendrils that had supported it had burst, and greeny-black ichor was gushing everywhere. Then Candy was beside her, helping her to her feet, and Orlo and Ty were dragging the doctor away from the dying alien. When they were clear of the spurting, bubbling fluid, Ty and Orlo lay the doctor on the ground. Martha rushed to his side and cradled his slime-covered body in her arms. He coughed in her ear and tried to push her away. But Martha was having none of it. She held on to him until Ty gently prized her away. I'm not so sure which is worse, the doctor choked, trying to sit up. Being smothered by slimy or being smothered by you? He looked up at her and grinned stupidly. Actually, he said, it was no contest. Hello, Martha. You don't half look different through green glasses, you know. Then he fainted, clean away. But why didn't the poison kill him? Martha said as she finished wiping the slime from his face. It wasn't a poison, Ty said, tossing the tranquilizer gun to the ground. But it killed that thing, didn't it? Actually, said the doctor muzzily, opening his eyes. I'm rather afraid you'll find that I killed it. So what was in the dart? Martha was confused. A rather clever little solution of RNA, he sat up. Slimy there controlled other organisms with proteins, injected them into them along with RNA to transfer memories, images. So it occurred to me that it might work the other way round. If I could get the right proteins and RNA inside it, I might be able to, well, mess about with its metabolism a bit. I told him it was dangerous, insisted Ty, as if trying to absolve herself of any guilt. I warned him. She did, the doctor admitted. That's why I couldn't tell you, Martha. I knew you'd stop me. So, this RNA, I mean... Martha was at a loss for words. This was all coming too thick and too fast. How? I had to make direct contact with the creature to be able to work on its metabolism. That's why I offered it the TARDIS. I knew it wouldn't be able to resist and that it would try to take control of me like it did poor old Pallister. But I had to give it the option. There always has to be a way out. Just a shame that people don't take it when it's offered. He shrugged. Ah, oh, well, anyway, it's had so much practice now that it knew exactly what to do with me. Well, it thought it did. It started to invade my body, and when it did, I invaded its body and reprogrammed the RNA string that Ty injected into me to destroy its outer membranes. He grinned. Didn't they teach you anything at medical school? He couldn't have injected it into himself earlier, Ty said, in case it broke down too quickly. Or the creature detected it and neutralised it. It had to be at the very last minute. Ty sighed and shook her head. I'm sorry I frightened you, Martha, honey. Really, I am. Martha shook her head. If it hadn't worked... You ever do that again? She said sternly to him. You really will need a doctor. Believe me. Your bedside manner leaves a lot to be desired, Miss Jones, he smiled. But you're getting there. One day you'll make a great doctor. With you about, said Martha, shaking her head. Who needs another one? They were making their way 
wearily back to the settlement. The doctor looked at Ty. I take it, Professor Benson, that there's going to be no more capturing and caging the otters. No, there isn't, Ty said. If I'd known they were as smart as that, I'd never have done it in the first place. And talking! How come I never heard them talk before? The doctor threw a glance at Martha. Oh, blame us for that one, he said. You might find that when we're gone, they're not quite so chatty. But there's nothing to stop you from trying. Come up with a completely new language. Something you both can understand. Imagine how that'd go down in the history books. You could call it Tyralian. Or Otteralian. He paused and pulled a lemon-sucking face. Nah, maybe not. Just show them a bit of respect. After all, they were here first. And who knows? This could be the start of a beautiful friendship. At the edge of the forest, watching them go, stood a dozen otters, their paws interlinked. I like the tall one, said one of them, the one with a soft grey smudge on its ear. Oh, the one with the yellow fur's my favourite, said another. They are kind of cute, aren't they, said a third, a little wistfully. And easier to train than I thought, even if they are a bit dim. There was a chorus of nods and giggles. Still, said the first one, intelligence isn't everything. And, still holding hands, the otters scampered back to the swamp. These humans were going to be fun. Doctor Who, Wet World, by Mark Michalowski, was read by Freema Adjaman. It was produced by Kate Thomas and is published by BBC Audiobooks.